Now, I don't know about you, but it used to be that when I thought of the Old Testament book of Exodus, I thought of Moses. And when I thought of Moses, I had this mental picture of a confident Charlton Heston-like figure who stood up to a powerful pharaoh who looked a lot like Yul Brynner. And then Moses courageously led an entire nation out of slavery. Yes, I admit that Cecil B. DeMille has a lot to answer for. But the book of Exodus is the story not of one individual, but of the people of God which makes it part of our story too. It has named and unnamed characters within that story. It has people of power, people who challenged that power and people we would consider to have no power at all. The book of Exodus tells of the oppression of the Hebrew people, of them crying out to God. It tells of their deliverance, their celebrations, their wilderness walk and the hope of promised land. The story in Exodus begins where the story of Genesis finished with the family of Jacob in the land of Egypt, saved from the famine that covered their land by Joseph, second youngest of his 12 sons, who'd been sold into slavery by his older brothers, trafficked to the land of Egypt, and who had risen to prominence, in fact becoming the second highest official in the land next to Pharaoh. More than 400 years have passed since Jacob and his household had arrived in Egypt. And the next part of the story begins with these ominous words. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And you have to wonder how could he not know about the man who had been given authority over the crops of Egypt and who prepared in the time of plenty for the years of famine, saving the entire nation from disaster? Well, we're told it's because he didn't know the blessings of the past. It seems he was so wrapped up in his own here and now that he lost sight of the contributions of those who had gone before him those who were refugees and had settled in the land of Egypt and helped their land prosper. He didn't know the blessings of the past. And that was not only to his own detriment, but also to the detriment of the Israelites. This Pharaoh saw them as a threat and wanted to contain them. And he decides that the way to do that is to stop their population growth. And so he sends out instructions. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labour. Them, they. These are the words used to dehumanise, because violence is easier to do to those who have been named them, not one of us. Then a specific order comes, delivered to two midwives, Shifra and Pua. Kill the boys at birth. Let the girls live. I can't imagine what it would have been like to have been given this order. Feelings of disbelief, perhaps, horror, any disagreement stifled for fear of their own lives. 
You see, the midwives are in a vulnerable position here, a position with no power and definitely no authority. So what can they do? Well, it turns out that what they did was to carry out what's been described as probably the first courageous act of civil disobedience ever recorded. They let the baby boys live. And their courageous act changes history because one of the boys that is spared will be called Moses and he will lead the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity. He will deliver God's law to the Israelites and bring them to the edge of the promised land. But for Moses ever to be Moses, there had to be those who took risks to ensure his survival. His mother, his sister, Pharaoh's daughter. But it all starts with the Hebrew midwives, or the midwives to the Hebrews as they're sometimes described. Now, whether they were Hebrew or Egyptian, or indeed Egyptian converts, is not really known. And it doesn't really matter. Because what is known is that they were two women willing to say no to an act of injustice. Because although they feared the Pharaoh, we are told they knew that there was one who was above him, one more powerful, whom they knew they should fear more, God himself. And when the word fear is used here, it means they respected or they were in awe of God. When I think of the courage of these two women, I have to ask myself, where did that courage come from? And I think the answer is that it came from a conviction that there was a God to whom we give an account, a God that honours us when we obey him, a God who means good for people. And so they acted on what their hearts and conscience told them was right in the eyes of God. And when they're questioned by Pharaoh as to why the Hebrew boys lived, Shifra and Pua played on Pharaoh's prejudice. The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. The them you speak of, it's true, they are not like you. Pharaoh saw the Israelites not as the people of God or even as the family of Joseph. He saw them as a threat to his rule, a them who had to be controlled. And so he enslaves them and he imposes a labour so hard that it threatened the lives of the Israelites. And when that doesn't work, he seeks to cut off their growth from its source at the time of birth. Until at last it came to the point where a dreadful command was issued to everyone that every single male born is to be thrown into the Nile. Let all the females live. Can you imagine what that was like for people? Nick Fawcett, a theologian, minister and author, wrote a reflection from the viewpoint of one of the Hebrew slaves that can perhaps guide our thinking and our imagination. It's called, They Hated Us. They hated us, not because we'd done wrong, nor through any fault on our part, but because we were different another culture, another faith, another race. It was as simple as that. Immigrants, they called us, and worse. Good-for-nothing layabouts, sponging off their state. 
stealing their women, taking their jobs, sapping their wealth, spoiling their country. They wanted someone to blame for their troubles, someone to hate, someone to hurt, and to take the focus off himself. The Pharaoh chose us. What did they do to us? Well, you wouldn't believe it. Things so awful, so unspeakable. Yet they were people, ordinary people like you or me, folk we walked with, talked with, worked with, laughed with. And suddenly, one day we were human, the next objects. One day friend, the next foe. Who'd have thought things could change so quickly? We were different, that's all. But for all that, we were still people, just as they were. Flesh and blood, feeling joy and sorrow, pleasure and pain. Was God to blame? I believed so at the time, asking myself, day after day, how could he stand by and let this happen? And it troubled me deeply. As much as the suffering itself, almost. My faith shaken. But it wasn't God. I realise that now. It was man. Man as I never dreamt he could be. One human being destroying another. Life counting for nothing. And that, well, that disturbs me more. The outcome that Shifra and Pua witness after making their courageous stand to not kill these Hebrew baby boys might have made them wonder if what they did made any difference at all. Because Pharaoh just kept pushing on with his plans to wipe out these babies, demanding that all his people be complicit in genocide and throw them into the River Nile. But we who stand further on in history know that what they did, did indeed make a difference. Sometimes I think the role that we are called to is akin to the role of that of being midwife. For we are being called to bring to birth God's vision for the world. And just like the midwives, we are called to take what we know and what we've been given and to use that to make this world just a little better, a little more bearable for some. Paul says to the Romans, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's in giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Each one of us is uniquely gifted and placed in this world to bring about some degree of life-giving transformation somewhere, sometime. But especially if we have the courage to stand against great injustice, hardship and misery that we see others enduring. The beginning of Exodus starts on a chilling note. A ruler wishing to solidify his political base identifies a common enemy, a scapegoat to blame for whatever problems are prevalent in his society. 
He tries to involve all his people in his final solution. But through a courageous act, two women stand against something they see as unjust and change history. I doubt very much they thought they were changing the world, but they were. And they did it by being faithful, by listening to their hearts and by following the call of conscience. God's world needs midwives and we have been called into action. The things we do this week, our actions, decisions, choices will in fact ripple out with consequences foreseen and unforeseen, for good or for ill, for the well-being or to the detriment of the world. The question isn't whether we will do something, but what? What will we do this week? to make a positive difference in the world and in the lives of those deemed by some as not us.